fun to be with you tonight on this chilly Southern California winter night. My, um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and so my nephews had an, a snow day yesterday. And I was like, I want a snow day. I miss snow days. Those of you who didn't grow up in any sort of weather, you wake up in the morning and you watch the news and your school's on the bottom and you're like, I don't have to go to school today. And you just go outside and play all day. It's really fun. So, well, I'm continuing in the series. I can figure out the podium. Um, the series tonight on worship. And we're going to talk about a life of worship related to our values. And I have a little illustration that might get messy. So you might be in this flash zone, Audrey. Uh, it's like SeaWorld. You didn't know what you were coming to tonight. Shamu is going to come out later. Right. I guess he's retired. That's illegal, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about worship, not Shamu. Um, I don't know about you, but this week has been a rough week. Has other, have anybody else had a rough week? It's like, it's just, 2020 is, feels like a, a truck that just ran me over. And um, I have the tire marks on my, it's, it's not a six pack, it's the tire treads. Um, and I'm hoping it just gets better and better. But I feel like a lot of things that have happened this year have really squeezed me. I don't know if you guys have ever been squeezed by a situation, squeezed by a conversation, squeezed where, where things just come out. Oh, see, it wasn't that bad, Audrey. Um, where things come out of the inside of you that you really didn't want other people to see. But it happens when you get squeezed, right? I can keep squeezing, but you get the point, right? We get squeezed, things come out. So several years ago, now I didn't think through the towel issue that I would need. Um, Several years ago, I was leading Project Impact out in Riverside, and that's our summer training program that we've been talking about, and one of our SC alums was getting married out in that area, so the guy I was leading with was a groomsman, and I was invited to the wedding because I'd known Jonathan for several years because he was a part of Challenge, and he was like, do you think the Project Impact students would want to help serve dinner? He was like, they'll get to eat for free. Like, of course they will. So, um, but this was a pretty low-budget wedding, which I'm all about low-budget weddings. Like, don't go into debt to get married. No one's going to remember it. It was Domino's pizza, salad, and cake. That was it. So it wasn't like they had to do a lot. Like, they were pretty, people can handle serving Domino's pizza. Just bring out the new pizzas, right? And so it was really fun for me because I got to sit with, like, challenge friends because I was living, you know, 50 miles from here. So I got to see some people that I hadn't seen that summer. And, but I just felt like this... Like, if things go bad with these Project Impact students, it's on me, right? I mean, John's in the wedding, so it's all on me. So I felt like, you know, I needed to go back periodically and check on them. So the last time I went and checked on them, this man stopped me as I was coming out of the kitchen. I I honestly cannot remember what he said to me, but he squeezed me. The conversation squeezed my heart. And how I felt when he was talking to me um, was very demeaned. I felt like... I needed to let him know that I, too, was an honored guest at this wedding. And, sir, I would appreciate it if you would speak to me as such. I cannot help you. I do not know what to do about your problem because I, too, am a guest at the wedding. And then I went and sat down. (laughs) And I was like, wow, Aaron, that was ugly. Like, wow, when I got squeezed, I wanted the image of being someone who served and who took care of other people and who wanted things done with excellence to my friends around me. But really what came out of my heart 
was ugly. And I think God in his kindness allows those things to squeeze us so that we can see things from his perspective and we can see areas in our life that things that we value, like I valued image so much more than transformation, than being conformed to the image of Christ, right? I valued conforming to the values of the world. And we see this all over scripture and especially in the New Testament. In Matthew 15, Jesus addresses religious leaders who wanted to be seen as holy and as important, just like I did in that wedding day. Um, but their motives were far from holy. He says to them very directly in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, you hypocrites. And he quotes Isaiah. He says, Isaiah was a prophet that had lived hundreds of years before. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Isn't that so interesting? What Jesus is saying is that, you know, Aaron and everyone else here, other people may be fooled. You may put on this good front that you've got it all together, that you really love Jesus. That's what your life's about. But I see past what your lips are saying and the songs that you're singing. I see your heart, and your heart is what I really care about. I don't care about the lip service. I don't care about your attendance. I care about your heart. And as Neil and I were talking just about the series and especially the topic tonight on just values and what we value, he said something that I thought was just really key and helped me kind of grasp more about what tonight should be about. He said, values are like words of the heart. Values are like words of the heart. They come from the inside. Things I look to for security, for significance, for serenity. These are the things I value. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about this life of worship. Like, what does that mean? That, that worship is not like, we're not at a worship service tonight. You don't check worship off your to-do list for today. That worship really is this life that we are called to live. Neil talked about several weeks ago how, about how we all assign supreme value to something. That all of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we were all created to worship. And what, to find out what we worship, it's not that hard. We just follow the trail of our affections, right? My affections can lead me to spend a lot of money at online shopping. I can see a lot of new clothes in my closet. Um, they can spend us to spend untold hours in Doheny striving for the perfect GPA. They can also cause us to cut corners to make more money, to get ahead, to crush the competition. That our affections really guide the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, all that we do. So just so we're all on the same page tonight, the definition that we've been working off of for worship is going to be up here on the screen. So for those of you who've been here, this might be familiar. For those of you who this is the first time, just so we're all on the same page, this is what we're talking about. The worship really is our response. Worship is a response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he's done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. That is what worship is. And the the verse and the passages that we've been going over and kind of basing this series off of is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There are two fairly famous, like recent theologians who 
like to paraphrase scripture, and they have just brought this passage to life. And so I thought just to bring greater clarity to what Paul's getting at, I would read these. The first is the message that was paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Some of you may be familiar with this. This is what he says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it for God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So hopefully that sheds a little more light on what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice. So what Peterson's saying here is your everyday life, you're walking to class, you're going to class, you're studying, you're eating in the dining hall, all of life, you're saying, okay, God, it's yours. I surrender it to you. Use me. I'm yours. But probably the most famous paraphrase of this passage is by J.B. Phillips. And he says this, I love this, with eyes wide open. Okay, open your eyes wide. I know some of you are thinking you're going to fall asleep tonight, but you're not because your eyes are wide open, just like J.B. Phillips is writing. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable to him, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all its demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. So one of the areas that the world is really trying to squeeze us into its mold is in the area of values. You're a college student. You know what the media says about college students? How you are portrayed in movies? I watched movies, so I will tell you how you are portrayed in movies. Uh, Especially Hallmark movies, my favorite. A lot of people, they have the opinion is that at this point in your life, you are just illegally drinking, partying hard, and cheating. Like, that's that's the expectation of you, according to Hollywood, which is just right down the street. But that's not God's expectation of you, and I hope that's not your expectation. It's certainly not your parents' expectation of you, right? Paul's saying this. Don't simply live like everyone else lives. If you choose to live how everyone else lives, you're going to end up where everyone else ends up. And this is not a rhetorical question, but how much effort does it take to conform? How much effort? Yes, Mac in the back. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Zero effort. This is like the lazy river at Whitewater, Raging Water, whatever's out here. You just float along, and it's just easy breezy, right? That's conforming. Let's just go along with it. You don't even put your feet down. Just put your feet up and float away. That's what it means to conform. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That is not God's plan for you. That's not his heart for you. Don't conform. Be transformed. Transformation isn't like going the opposite way in the lazy river. It's going to require some muscle, some quadriceps, some moving in the opposite direction, some effort, some intentionality. It's not going to happen without that. Just think back to the messages that you've seen this week. Those ads at the Super Bowl, the values that were lifted high that Sunday afternoon. Um, We had a great time at our freshman connection party. I don't know about the rest of you, but we were thoroughly entertained. But what was advertised? What was values? Valued, sex, money, fame, 
fortune, being cool. And I, I know that I am not cool, so I cannot <laughs> really appreciate what cool is, but that is what was being advertised, trust me. I can read that. And the messages, bomb- thank you, thank you. Um, the messages bombard us every day, we're totally unaware of it. Think of social media. I know a lot of you don't watch the news, maybe you read the Daily Trojan. Luke watches the news. Annenberg people watch the news, listen to the news. Um, Movies, television, it is around you every single day, these values, the squeezing into the world's mold. And we don't realize how quickly we're squeezed into the world's mold and we're totally unaware of it. It's just like we're oblivious and have no understanding of it. And Jesus' invitation and Paul's warning is very clear. Beware, be on your guard, do not conform Be transformed. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the world. So how do you remold your mind like J.B. Phillips talks about? How do you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? It's interesting. In Luke 16, Jesus tells this really interesting story, a fictional story, about a shrewd manager that was caught skimming the accounts of his master's money. And he says at the end of the story, Jesus speaking, in Luke 16, verse 14 through 15, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, uh, who thought you know, that they were the important ones who wanted to help everyone obey God, said this. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. I was trying to think of what's detestable to me. Like, I've eaten some food, durian. Have you guys ever eaten that? This, the thought of it makes my stomach curdle. Like, I would rather die than eat. I would probably die if I ate it again. It won't stay down. It's, it's just detestable to me. Like, like, that is how, to the nth degree, how God views the things this world. It's detestable to him. Just nauseating, disgusting, detestable. So what are some of the world's values? You know, the world says, it's all about you. Self-preservation, you do you, take care of you. And God says, you know, it's about self-sacrifice. It's about laying down your life. That's where real life is found. The world says, rise to the top by ambition. It doesn't matter who you have to stomp on to get to the top. You get there. Be ambitious. But God says, you know, the way to the top is by serving. The world says, choose joy when life is great. Like, There's all sorts of reasons to be joyful, but God says that joy is really possible in the midst of tremendous pain and heartache because of him. The world says the way you gain is by getting, accumulating more and more and more. And God says, well, no, the way to gain is by giving, is by generosity. It's so polar opposite. They don't meet in the middle anywhere. And so we see that over and over again in the world's values, the power, the prestige, The being served, I I hire people for that. I don't do that. Other people do that for me. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The values that God esteemed are are loving people, are humility, are serving, giving. And do our lives and our actions really reflect that we trust God enough to live by his values? Because the world's values feel very comfortable. We're, We're born into it, right? It's what we know. And the conflict we face every day, it's like, like, God or my stuff, or, or God, or my plans and my agenda, my dreams for my life, you know, God and my image, who I want people to think I am. Who's going to be, 
the ruler in my life? Who's going to call the shots? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve what the world says will bring me happiness and true joy? And what's so interesting is that if we want to live a life of worship, we can't value things the one we worship doesn't value. I want to say that again so you guys get that. If we are going to live a life of worship, we can't value the things the one we are worshiping doesn't value. It doesn't work like that at all. We can't value wealth, the American dream, fame, comfort, convenience, and claim to be worshipers of God Most High. It doesn't work like that. We think, well, if we bow our knees on Thursday night and lift high God, then, then that's enough. I'll give him some lip service, and, but then pursue the things he's against. That's not how it works. And the world is trying to press these things into it. You can have it all. You can have it both. All we want. It's all possible. And it's not. We can't six days a week cultivate the world's values and then spend a few hours on worship on Thursday night and Sunday morning and think that that's okay and that's how God wants us to live. In fact, that's when you look at people who've tried to do that long term, ultimately they walk away from God because the pressure and the stress and just the, it becomes pointless. Like, why do I care anymore about what other people think? I'm just going through the motions. And I get it, it's, it's really hard because you don't hear people or saying out loud, like you've never heard me say, well, I worship myself. But watch my life, and often days I, I do worship myself, or, or I worship my stuff, or I worship my GPA, or I worship being thought of cool as by my friends. I worship my body. And it's not part of a normal conversation. You know, I've been in multiple places on campus all week long, and I've never heard anybody overheard in any conversation, which I sometimes do eavesdrop, um, to other people's conversations. It's fascinating. Um, my little nosy self, little do they know. No one has said, you know, well, what are you worshiping today? No one has said that. I have not overheard that at all. But if asked, we may say that we value this thing or that thing, but really our actions speak louder than words, right? In the end, worship is far more about what we do than what we say in the songs that we sing. So how do you begin to recognize what you're valuing? It's far easier than it seems. Like we talked about earlier, you simply follow the trail. Open up your Google Calendar. Where's your time going? Your affection, your energy, your allegiance. At the end of the trail, you'll find the throne. And whoever or whatever's on the throne, that's who you're worshiping. And so to recognize, you know, what we value is a great first step. But it's just the beginning step. Because for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he invites us to exchange what we've been valuing. Because it's just a natural, normal way that we're taught to live for his values and for what he values. And the great thing about God is that he hasn't left us on our own like, figure it out. Good luck. Let me know. No, he like spells it out so clearly. This is what I value. This is what I want you to value. You are valuable to me because you were created in my image. And we see this really clearly in a short verse in the book of Galatians. So I wanted to give you a little background on the book of Galatians. So it's written by Paul and he writes this letter with like a lot of passion and a lot of frustration because while Christianity had begun as this Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, it's quickly spread 
beyond Israel. And so it wasn't long before there were just as many non-Jews as Jews following Jesus, and the clash of cultures got ugly fast. There were debates. The leaders of the early church had to come together and decide, what is it going to mean to follow Jesus? What are people going to have to do? Um, and there were those Jews who believed that for non-Jews, that would be us in the room, Gentiles, to truly follow Jesus, that they needed to obey the, the Torah, which was really designed by God to set his people apart from the pagan cultures around them. So one of the big deals was circumcision. It was a really big deal for Jewish men. And I think as 21st century Westerners, this, we cannot even wrap our minds around the significance and how radical this was. And especially as a woman, I cannot. But, um, <laughs> but I will just go, yeah. But Paul found out that some of these Christians were teaching to non-Jews that they had to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. And he pens this letter with a lot of fervor and wanting to set the record straight that Jesus never, ever said that. So he writes this in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So Paul is saying that day is over where a physical act defines who you are and who you follow. That's done. That chapter's closed. That book is done. Shelve it. It's over. I don't have to wonder what God thinks about me. My value has been determined by him. I belong to him. That's been settled at the cross. Anyone willing to die for me and you has proved our value, right? So this defining characteristic of the new covenant, which the new covenant, I'll explain in just a minute, this faith expressing itself through love, what circumcision was to the old covenant, and the old covenant was just God's covenantal relationship that he had with his people, this that associated with the old covenant, what's associated with the new covenant is faith expressing itself through love. So the new covenant began with Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus changed everything. Sacrifices were no longer needed for people to worship. This new covenant was ushered in, and we live under the new covenant. The old covenant is gone. But for ancient Jews, circumcision was the defining characteristic of someone who was in a covenant relationship with God. It was a really really big deal. So for those embracing the new covenant, the defining characteristic was faith expressing itself through love, which is a huge difference, right? And some of the things I read about this, I thought was so fascinating that I had to pass on to you guys that this circumcision was invisible to the public. It was a once and done thing. It was all male, decided by parents, that was the old covenant. That was circumcision. But this new covenant that's being ushered in, it's visible. It's public, right? It's faith expressing itself through love. It involves daily decisions. It's not a one and done thing. Don't we wish it was? No, it's not. Every day choosing to allow my faith in Jesus to express itself in love. It's not gender specific. Yippee! <laughs> it's a, we're all in this together. And while it does not require surgery, it is incredibly painful because love requires sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but any sacrifice I have ever made was costly. So Paul's urging them, don't focus on externals. Jesus isn't focusing on externals. If you do, you miss the point. It's distracting from the main thing. This was so radical. He keeps saying the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. 
So you think about that, out of all the phrases in the Bible, which, you know, depending on the size of your font, could be this big or this big, the one thing that matters, not one of the things that matters, but the one thing that matters, the one thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And I thought it was really interesting that he doesn't say the one thing that matters is faith. Because to me, that's what I would think it would be, is faith, right? But we have faith not expressing itself in action or in love. You have legalism, you have morality, you have showing up to check a box that you were here without any intention of doing anything with what you heard. It's just external. It's image management, right? And Jesus said over and over again, it's about our heart. It's about our heart. So focusing just on faith and not faith in action doesn't bring us any closer to God. The one thing that value, the one thing that matters most is how we treat people. Wow, just think about if we, the believers in this room, began to live this out, began to live out our faith in such a way that it changed the way we treat other people in this room and other people that we encounter, even the rude man at the wedding, right? If how, that, how this verse could have changed that interaction. And trust me, I'm sure I had read this verse many times before that interaction, and it did not express itself through love. What would it look like in your life tonight, this weekend, this week? And I don't know about you, but my day-to-day interactions with the world, I'm not feeling squeezed into the mold of sacrificially, unconditionally loving people. That's not the mold I'm feeling squeezed into. Maybe the mold you're feeling, but I've never seen it. But maybe you, like me, struggle to recognize just how pervasive the world's values are in our lives. They have seeped into my values, and it's like a comfortable sweater. It's, it's cozy because I wear it a lot. It's well-worn, and I like it. That's the world's values. I'm comfortable in it. And so we have to spend time in God's word learning what he values. Otherwise, we will never recognize how his values are so different than the world's values. So some things that have been helpful for me as I've tried to embrace more of God's values, I call these value-shaping essentials. There's two things. The first thing I would say is just time in the Bible, time in his word, learning from him, learning who he is and how he wants me to live, learning to like feed my soul. Just like I feed my tummy, I got to feed my soul and feed my mind on his truth. If I have any hope of recognizing how what the world is offering and what God is offering is different, I've got to know what his values are. It brings such needed awareness because I buy into the world's values hook, line, and sinker. It's just like I don't bat an eye. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Let's go. So if we want to understand God's values, we have to read his word and know what he says in there. And the other thing I would encourage you to do, for those of you who really want to to learn God's values and to live by them, is to choose to share life with a community of people who are striving to live by God's values. To choose to share life with a community of people striving to live by God's values. You will never find a perfect community. I'm pretty biased. I think this one's pretty great. Um, But a group of people who are saying, okay, I want to take God's word seriously. I want to learn his values and try to live those out. I want my faith to be put into action where It's impacting my relationships, the way I see people, the way I treat people. That's what I want to be true. I have found no success at all in attempting to change values on my own. Not at all. So I would encourage you to take time in his word and take time around other people. And you have to purpose to be real and honest with other people because 
if they don't know what's going on or how you're struggling with like, is this really a world, the world's value? I don't know. It just feels so normal to me to talk that through with other people and to be real and honest, and they can help you with that. There's a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching, that there is great value in coming to something like tonight, to going to church on Sunday, to gathering with people, and encouraging each other, press on, keep your eyes on Jesus. This isn't our home. Come on, we gotta value the things that God values. We need each other. It's going to take effort and intentionality. Think about that. Going on the lazy river the wrong way. That kind of idea. And I want to wrap up with just how to learn to live by God's values. Three things to consider. Is I don't know, just like that water illustration. I won't do it again because it was a little bit more messy than I anticipated. Um, But when we're squeezed and the ugliness comes out, to just recognize the misaligned value and own it before God. Just own it. He sees it. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. It might be obvious to other people too. It might just be between you and God, but own it. He's a loving father and he wants to help you become like him and to value the things that he values. So he does, he allows these things in our lives to help us to grow and to become like him. So when you recognize the, the value you've bought into and thinking, oh gosh, what do I do? I would say the next thing to do is to replace it with the truth that God's word has the truth you need to embrace, to combat the values and the lies that you bought into from the world. And it's not enough just like a one and done replacing it. You've got to, the third thing is to repeat it and rehearse it over and over and over again in your mind. Re-wallpaper the walls of your mind with God's truth. So an example of this, you know, a worldly value that I easily buy into is just that of selfishness. Like, I just want some me time. I want to do things my way. I want to be in charge of my schedule, to be in charge of that. So, for instance, on Sunday was the Super Bowl, and I will be honest, the very last thing I wanted to do was go to the Super Bowl party. I was like, well, first of all, I I do like football. I grew up in a football-loving home. My dad watched Monday Night Football my entire life. Saturdays were for football. But, I mean, I just didn't care, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) I just didn't care. And I was tired. It had been a... Saturday had been full in different sort of ways. I just, I really wanted a nap. That was my thing. It's like, I just really want a nap. And so it's just been interesting over time as I have just brought my, God, I don't have any energy and I don't want to do this. Like, and I was lying in my bed. Literally, I told my roommates, I'm just going to lie down for 10 minutes. Um, And I was like, God, I just, I can't. I'm done. I'm so tired. And when you do choose to, to memorize scripture and to be in God's word, oftentimes he will bring passages to mind or opportunities for you to, to recall things that are important to him. And so Colossians 1, 28 and 29 is a verse that I tried to memorize in college. It says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching every man, everyone, so we can present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And over and over again, I have seen God provide just the energy I need to go the extra mile, to do the extra thing. And you know what? We had a blast at that Super Bowl party. It was so fun. I would have been so sad. to be sad. I was actually sad on behalf of the people I invited who did not come. We had such a good time. We celebrated birthdays. We ate junk food. It was just, and we played games. It was just really fun. I was like, you know, I want my life to be about this first, that I want to, at this point in my life, 
live this with freshmen. I want them to, to come to know Jesus, to grow in him, and to become like him. And sometimes that means going to a Super Bowl party. There's not a lot of spirituality or, you know, we didn't have any, like, deep theological talks. But I got to have fun and laugh with them, and that's essential in sharing life and loving them. And it was a great time. I think I will do it again next year. Um, and God will remind me of this. Another value that's easy for me to embrace is, like, that life shouldn't be this hard. That there should be, like, it's that American dream. Like, you should get the white picket fence. It should be easy. You get to a place in life where it just should get easier. But it seems like life just gets harder. And I'm like, got it. But if I had, like, if I had that bank account or if I had that brain or if I had, you know, those parents that could help or, you know, these different things um, that make me think, well, life would be easier if that was my story and not the story that, I, that you've given me now. And so a few years ago, as I was just reading through the Gospel of John, I came across this passage that I had never read like this before. So this happened after Jesus' resurrection, and Peter had denied Jesus, and before Jesus' ascension, but he is at the beach with his closest friends. And this is the way I picture it in my mind. I was not there, obviously, but this is what I picture. So Peter is like sitting on, not a tarp, but something that they would have back then on the sand with Jesus. And John is a little bit away. And John, you know, describes himself. This is the gospel that John wrote, like as the disciple that Jesus loves. And I picture Peter looking at John and just saying, and this is found in John 21, 21 and 22. He said, you know, Jesus what about him? And I picture Jesus looking at him with such compassion because I think Peter would feel very insecure. I would feel very insecure if I had just betrayed my closest friend three times and then wonder, you know, I'm just a little unsteady right now. John hadn't done that. John hadn't messed up like I had messed up. You know, what about him? What do you have in store for him? And Jesus says to him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So when life squeezes me and I'm like, this is not fair. Sometimes I will just hear the Holy Spirit say, Aaron, you must follow me. That my path for you looks very different. But your, my call on your life is to follow me. Over and over again. Through the chaos, through the craziness, through the 2020 that I was like, Really? Can we go back to 2019? Um, no, no, we keep moving forward. We keep following him because what matters is that faith expresses itself through love over and over again, that we recognize, wow, these values are comfortable to me because it's reinforced in every television show I watch, in every movie I watch, in my interactions with maybe family members, professors. You're hearing this over and over again, but that God's values are so different and they lead to a different outcome and an outcome that you will not regret. So let me pray for us, and then we'll welcome back up the worship team. Father, I thank you that you have not left us confused about what your values are or your heart for us and your heart for other people. And I pray that we would be people who would recognize when we have bought into the world's values and that we would choose to embrace your values, to live by them, to encourage each other to live by them, and to be people who work out our faith in action, that the world around us would see that we are followers of you by the way we love each other. Thank you so much for preserving your word, the way it helps and guides us. We're so grateful. In your name we pray, amen.